0: Kim, if you haven't met yet, my name's Aaron. Look forward to meeting you. Thanks for being here. Um, man, it's good to be here. I feel like some of you I have not seen in forever. We missed the last gathering because uh, Paige was kind enough to get COVID and Megan was sick and uh, we didn't want to turn Commonwealth into a super spreader event. Um, so we had to stay home. So some of you I haven't seen in a long time. So it's really good to be in the space, in the room with you, as I know a lot of us have just been all over the place with summer. So... Let's do this. Why don't we uh, we'll open up in prayer, and then we'll dive in. Sound good? All right. Lord God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather for this space that City Church has just so generously provided us with. And Lord God, we thank you for everything that you've done in each one of our stories to bring each one of us into this room, into this moment. And Lord God, we believe that uh, that is for a purpose, and so we ask that you would open up our our minds, our hearts, our ears to receive what you have for us uh, this evening. And we just commit this this time to you and welcome you into this space. We pray these things in your great name, Amen. All right, so as we dive into this uh, missional workshop, kind of beginning, I thought I'd start with a story um, that kind of sets the table and is a little bit uh, fresh for us right now. Uh, we moved into South Knox was it five years ago? Cockrooms? do you know? <laughs> was it five years ago? Uh, has to be six? Is that right? five or six? Five or six years. And so we did, you know, we talk a lot about uh, in Commonwealth, which is um, beginning to pray through like, hey, where has God invited us into in this, this space? Uh, who are the people that are in kind of our proximity? Uh, and how can we join God in what he's already doing ahead of us and enter in? And so Uh, One of the first places we look, and this is kind of how we encourage and coach everybody, if you don't feel called to a particular people or a particular place, you're still trying to discern that, is our neighborhood. So we started looking around, and we had a next-door neighbor, uh, one of the first people we met when we moved in, uh, named Chris. And Chris, when we met him, you can throw up the photo. This is Chris. Uh, That's pretty much the face that he had on when we met him. He was not sure uh, what to think of us at all. he uh, made it known to us immediately that he did not want our dog on his property, um, and he's very standoffish for a while. And so we started praying for Chris, and just looking for little opportunities to connect. Um, and it was—I will say—it was slow going for quite a while. And over time, I began to learn more of Chris's story, and it kind of made sense. Uh, Chris was on the on the streets, homeless for about 15 years. Uh, So he's seen a lot. Um, If you, I used to work at a homeless shelter and a lot of people who live on the streets uh, for a long time, they're survivors, right? They've seen kind of the underbelly. They've seen great things, but they've also seen the kind of the underbelly of humanity. There's a lot of using and abusing of people. It's just, it's a rough place to live and. And Chris looks about 10 years older than he actually is, just I think from the, the life, the story that, that he's living and the way that people have taken advantage of him along the way. So it took a long time. So we, you know, we would invite him over. One of the things with Chris is he, he would never come into our house. That was like a big no-no. Like he's completely uncomfortable with even being in our carport. And we would invite him in and he would not come in. So we started cooking meals outside and we set up a table in our carport and, and uh, kind of Began bringing the food kind of closer to him. And, and then we would cook extra every time, like, we'd do barbecue and stuff and just drop it. And then he felt, like, a need to, like, give back, you know. So then he'd do, like, pork chops and bring us pork chops. Over time, he came to realize, like, that wasn't necessary. Um, and, and over time, he began to warm up to us. And uh, it's been a long, long road. Now I'll tell you, he thinks the dog belongs to him. Um, Mowgli loves Chris probably more than anybody but Paige. And uh, he has been a part of our story, and, and he's loved our kids like they're his own. And unfortunately, one of the sad parts about gentrification, you know, which is happening big time in South Knoxville, uh, is guys like Chris get priced out of the neighborhood. And, and so people who you've been loving on and praying for and journeying with uh, get priced out of rentals. And that basically is what I'm having to Chris um, uh, Chris we've had bounty hunters show up at our front door, uh, large men with the vests and automatic rifles looking for Chris. Um, He's he's been a colorful part of our story. But what's really cool is, you know, our relationship with Chris, even though he moved out, uh, has continued over the years. And there was a period of time where he was homeless again, and he was living out of a camper. And you know, and so he reached out because it was getting really cold, and he had adopted a kitten. <laughs> and so we were able to buy him a heater. And and now now, uh, anytime Chris is in the area, um, he calls us up, and we share a meal. And uh, he call he he will not hang up the phone without saying I love you. And he he reached out here oh, a couple months ago because his daughter, who he has not seen in. Uh, about a quarter century, reached out on Facebook. And she had found him on Facebook and said, hey, is this you with a photo that she had from her mother? And he said yes. And so they got to be reunited. And so Chris was really excited to bring her over to our house. And so we got to meet her and spend some time with them. Um, Chris gave me a call yesterday uh, because his son, who he hasn't seen for 24 years, reached out and wanted to see him. And so uh, he... He, his son drove up to, to see him with where he's at right now and his, his daughter decided to join him and he just wanted us to know and he also shared through many tears that his daughter called him dad for the first time and uh yeah it was really it was really sweet and, and yesterday he let us know that he's going to be moving back to the area uh, his son works in Gatlinburg and he wants to be close to us and and he just said, uh, you know, you, Megan, and the kids, other than my kids that I'm now connected with, you're the only family that I got, and I want to be close to you guys. And, and it's been a really sweet, really sweet journey. In fact, you can throw up the other photo. He sent me a photo. This is him and his son uh, last night when they were reunited. Um, the apple does not fall far from the tree. <laughs> it looks just like Chris. right? And I, and I share that for a few, a few different reasons. One, it's just a really cool story that we are getting to be a part of, and there's some fresh work that is going on there. Uh Chris is, um he actually called the let us you know about six months ago that he had uh surrendered his life to Jesus and was experiencing life um in a way that he had never experienced before. He told me a lot of the bitterness and anger he had been harboring was gone. Um, and he thanked us. He's like, I know you guys have been praying for me. So thank you. And uh and then he asked me yesterday um his brother recently passed away in Arizona. And he has his ashes, and so we're going to go up to the Smoky Mountains and do a little service with, with him and his son. But I, I share that because, you know, first of all, that's the good stuff, right? <laughs> like, this is the kind of stuff, this is why we do what we do. Um, it's the kind of stuff we prayed for when we moved into South Knox, kind of stories and people we would hope that we would get to journey with. But also, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that when it comes to living on mission, like, you just can't microwave this stuff. You know, like, this is a story that's been five, six years uh, in the making, and we can never move faster than the Holy Spirit. Uh, and you never know, like when people's arms are going to become uncrossed and they're going to open up to the things of God. And for Chris, it took it took a few years, um, but God's doing a really cool, really cool work there. Um, I think I also share that because I think for those of us who have like church background, when we talk about things like mission or things like evangelism, uh, it leaves like a bad taste in our mouth. Right? And it can make us feel like God is calling us to be used car salesmen. Uh, pressuring people, trying to convince them of how right we are, how wrong they are, and to sell them on like a bill of goods or a statement of faith. Get them to pray the sinner's prayer, dunk them in the water, you know, whatever. Uh, it sounds exhausting, and so many people have had such a bad experience with church um, that I think that there's a part of us just like don't want anything to do with that. Which I would say, hey, I, don't, I, I think that God is inviting us into something far more beautiful uh, and far more reflective uh, of Jesus. And so there's a phrase that we've tossed out a little bit here and there. And I've had a few of you like ask about it. And I thought tonight, like during this portion, we would just talk about it explicitly. And that is the phrase person of peace, All right? And this is something we get, directly, um, we get directly from Jesus. And so we're gonna look here at, at Luke 10 and he's gonna paint a better, I think more beautiful picture for what mission can look like. So this is beginning in verse one. Uh, We read, after this, Jesus anointed or appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. All right, so one of the really unique things about this is when we look at the Gospels and when Jesus teaches, a lot of times what he'll give you is like a nugget of truth, like a principle, but then he kind of leaves it to us to wrestle with how to apply that and how to flesh that out. But here, this is pretty unique to the Gospels. Jesus is actually going to tell us not only the what or the why, but he's actually going to tell us the how as it relates to being living sent, which he did here with his disciples. Um, And it's interesting, I'm not sure exactly why he did it, maybe because he knew that most of us would make all kinds of excuses for not actually living this out. Um, I'm not sure, but definitely in these few verses, like Jesus is pushing us outside of our comfort zone and inviting us into something uh, that's gonna feel a little risky, a little uncomfortable. And there's a few just quick insights I wanna draw just from these first few passages. Um, One, uh, we find uh, Jesus does not send people out individually. Right? And so he, we find that he sends them out in teams. And that's something the early church uh, picked up on and continued. Right? It's one of the reasons one of our core values right, is no one alone. Right? No one goes or grows alone. Right? And so as we begin to live this stuff out, live on mission, uh, being alone is not a good place to be. So he sends them out uh, in teams. Um, one, apparently you don't need much. Right? He says don't take anything extra that you don't need. You don't need professionals. Uh, you don't need permission. You already have that. Uh, God has gone ahead of you, and he's going to provide every step of the way, and whatever you have in your hand is apparently enough. Uh, Thirdly, uh, right, he says pray, right? Pray to the God, the Lord of the harvest, uh, because there's a lot of people out there who desperately need the life that Jesus can give. So pray. Pray that Jesus would send more people out. And then lastly, he says expect resistance, right? Which I think is, we all know this, but it's like just good to say out loud and acknowledge that there are people that are not going to want to hear it, and, and that's okay. Um, so, you know, it's just like, don't be surprised when it happens. Don't assume you're doing something wrong when, when you run into it, because uh, not everyone is going to be open. But here's what I love what Jesus does. Is he, he basically says, like, when you run into those people, uh, you don't need to keep on beating a dead horse, <laughs> you know. Like, you don't have to run after those people that are intimidating and scary, and they're just not open to the things of God in the season of life that they're in, uh, you're gonna, you want to readjust and refocus your time on the people who, who are open, right? And that's what he's going to paint a picture for us. Uh, verse, verses 5 and 6, we read this. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if someone uh, who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you, right? So like the everyday greeting in Jesus' day was shalom, uh, which essentially gets translated peace, right? Um, it, can be a, it can be a very deeply meaningful phrase, but in most cases, it's just a casual kind of greeting, right? It's like, how's it going, right? And then, but Jesus then doubles down on He says, he infuses, he like baptizes the phrase, right? Uh, and I don't think the words are necessarily what's important here, but he baptizes this common greeting and says, this can be, the source of something that's actually beautiful and divine and can be filled with meaning. It can be a jump-off point for God to continue to do uh, whatever he wants to do in this person's life, something that can be uh, deeply sacred. Now, right as we enter into conversation, Jesus is invited to be a part of that conversation from moment one, from, hey, how's it going? Right, and our posture moves, I think, away from selling, pushing, forcing, to listening to what God might want to do in this person, what he might already be up to in this person's uh, life, right? And these ordinary moments, these ordinary conversations can be infused and become sacred opportunities for God to do extraordinary things in what would otherwise be very ordinary moments, right? And so a lot of this is beginning to listen and read posture, right, and how, where people are really at. You know, we say this a lot, and I think it's important to just keep saying is Anytime that God allows an opportunity for us to step into somebody's life, he's already there, right? Like, we're not, we're not bringing God to them. Like, he has been at work pursuing them, wooing them, preparing their hearts for what he has for them, right? And so we just get to, like, step in, like, so far down the road and join him in what he's already doing, right? And so part of this is when he entered into conversations, is listening for, for what's there, right? Paying attention to those people that are leaning in and who are hungry, Right? And so some of you have heard a little bit of this story, and I share it just because it's just one of the best ones, examples I have. Right? So when we planted uh, the last church we were part of in Lincoln, Nebraska, um, I was working for Jimmy John's uh, delivering sandwiches, trying to provide for our family because uh, there's not money in church planning, if you haven't figured that out yet. And oh yeah, there we go. And this guy, thank you for throwing that up there, was my boss at Jimmy John's, Brian. And uh, you probably don't want to keep that up there too long, or nobody's going to hear a word that I am about to say. <laughs> but Brian and I uh, started having moments in the kitchen at Jimmy John's. He found out what we were doing, and uh, he wanted to make it known that he was not buying what we were selling. He wasn't smoking any of it. Uh, he thought it was all ridiculous that religion you know, is the opiate of the masses, and that we had drank the Kool-Aid. And so he was always coming at me, always coming at me. Like anytime there's anything of faith or belief, uh, he always wanted to like spar, like in public. And like one day there's a guy out front, he had a big cross, you know, the bullhorn guys, that are just shouting condemnation at everybody who drives, walks by. And Brian is like, hey, is this one of your crew, right? Is that, is that what you believe? Is this, this, what you, you know, you guys on the same team, you know? And I was like, you know, I was so embarrassed. I was like, you know what? I think we should get breakfast. Like, you want to, like, grab breakfast sometime and we can actually talk about this? Because I really liked Brian, and he wanted to keep talking about it, right? So he kept, he kept drawing it. So I was like, let's just talk about it. So we grabbed breakfast. And uh, lo and behold, Brian had some pretty big wounds, like, from religious people, right? Probably not a big surprise. So a lot of that angst and volatility, uh, some of it was like I had completely understood why he felt the way he felt right? So one breakfast turned into two breakfasts, turned into three, four, five. We just made a habit of it. Uh, And we really enjoyed one another, right? Really, to this day, I love Brian. We became really close friends. And in time, he's like, hey, why don't you send me some of your people, your Christian authors or whoever you read, and I'll send you some of my atheist ones, and then we can talk about it. So we started doing that. In time, uh, in time, he invited me you got to take that picture down, dude. <laughs> At some point, it becomes assault, I think. Um, <laughs> that's going to be burned in your memories. In time, um, he, he played sand volleyball uh, in, a, in a bar league. And one of their players blew out his knee. And he knew that I enjoyed sports. And he's like, hey, would you sub in for our volleyball team? Because uh, we have somebody who's having knee surgery. I said, yeah, that'd be great. Love that. So we did. So we played, played volleyball. Afterwards, you know, we sat down, grabbed beers, talked about probably college football for three hours, and that was that. And then he invited me to become a permanent part of the team. And uh, over, and this just kind of became part of our, our routine. It was probably about a, after a year of doing this um, that I just watched like this guy's heart posture begin to change, right? And he asked me uh, more and more like after these volleyball matches, um, the conversation would turn to faith. And honestly, like, I was not the one driving the conversation. It was Sunday nights. You know, we had been, I'd been preaching and leading and setting up church and tearing down church, like, all Sunday. Like, by Sunday evening, I was, like, jesus out. You know what I mean? Like, college football, beer, and volleyball, that's, like, what my soul needs. But they just kept wanting to talk about Jesus. (laughs) And more and more, these volleyball players from other teams would join us afterwards. Uh, Brian asked me if I could get him a Bible so he could do research. I said, yeah, I think I can probably get you a Bible. Um... He started coming to church and uh, called himself our resident atheist. And before I knew it, he and I, we, we set up, started doing a Bible study, just him and I in a bar uh, on Thursday nights. And then he started inviting some of his atheist friends. And they were totally into it. And we just studied Jesus and talk about it together. Um, and it was beautiful, you know. And, and he really became, for me, like a person of peace as he became open spiritually. And I'd love to tell you that, he ended up becoming a follower of Jesus, and we baptized him. Uh, I'm still praying for that to happen. That hasn't happened yet. But a number of those friends did become followers of Jesus, right? And so he was on mission, and he didn't even, didn't even know it, you know? And, and so I say that because, again, it's like that's one of those things where it's like you could never cook that up, right? You wouldn't write that on a strategy sheet. Like, I'm going to start a Bible study for atheists. It's going to be a big hit. Uh, it's going to go over well, right? But when you start to just love the people in front of you with intentionality, you know, one of the things that I found is people that you find who are open. And, and that's one of the things I found with Brian. One of the reasons like, he kept coming at me is he was interested. And he wanted to know if it was trustworthy and if I was ultimately trustworthy. And I count him a really good friend um, to this day. So, again, it's not pushing, it's not shoving, it's not forcing. Like, God is already working ahead of us to open up these doors. Oftentimes, we're just stepping in and giving language to things they're already thinking about and asking Verse seven, we read this. Jesus says, uh, as this is happening, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages, and do not move from house to house. Right, so one of the things you find when you're trying to identify a person of peace, like this is one of the uh, biggest insights I would say, uh, one of the ways you can often tell is you love being with that person, and they love being with you. Right, it's really natural it doesn't feel like work. It's the, it's the opposite of feeling like a used car salesman. Um, as you come in their lives, you'll find, like, they'll start to respond with favor to you. Uh, they'll often open up their lives, you know, to their relational networks, invite you into their homes, introduce you to their friends. And Jesus says, look, when this starts to happen, receive their kindness, right? Like, stay there, eat and drink whatever they, they put in front of you. Um, And one of the things that you find, the longer you do this, I know some of you know this, but one of the things you find as you start start to live on mission more and more is one of the the beautiful surprises of it is we go in oftentimes thinking that we're going to be the blessing, but they end up blessing our socks off, (laughs) right? Oftentimes at first, they are a far bigger blessing to us than we are to them. And on top of that, there are things that They, because they have been created in the image of God, they they have to teach us about the character of God as we walk with them and as we journey with them. And I think that's important because sometimes in the Christian world when we talk about things like mission and evangelism, right, we're always the blesser, right? We've got the answers, and it creates kind of the savior complex rather than walking in open-handedly and and allowing God to surprise you, right? Some of you know, um, I know I'm about out of time and we need to keep moving. Like this weekend, uh, this last week was like a great example of this. We were driving to Lincoln, Nebraska. We were supposed to be there for a wedding, and in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, our transmission drops out of our car, can go over 20 miles per hour. And so we go limping on back roads into this tiny little town in middle of nowhere, Missouri, can't get the car going. I'm looking on Google to see if there's any kind of shops or garages close by. There are. They're not open until Monday for a couple days. And so I walk into this gas station looking for the bulletin board, hoping that maybe just maybe there's like a local auto mechanic or handyman with a, a card on the bulletin board. There wasn't. But there was a guy uh, sitting underneath that board uh, named Pikey. And he was, I didn't know it at the time. I'd soon find out right before then he had been sleeping out in the back field behind the, gr- the gas station And he doesn't have a home, lives on the road entirely. This is Pikey, by the way. And uh, he heard, I said, do you know if there's any, like, there's a local garage or mechanic or specialist around here? And uh, he said, no, are you thinking about opening up a shop or something? I was like, no, I need one. I need one right now. And uh, he said, well, my background's in, in auto mechanics. Can I take a look for you? And to make a long story short, this guy spent the next several hours under our hood, under our car. Uh, at one point, he hopped on his Harley, and he went 30 miles to get parts for our car. 30 miles back, sweating, covered in transmission fluid, sharing his story. Where I come to find out he's a part of uh, he was pretty much race-informed in a biker gang. He was about to switch gangs into another city. I learned a lot about what is happening in different cities and who controls what. Um, he, he doesn't have a home. He's got a garage where he's got all of his equipment. He travels, and he works. And just started sharing about his own journey of faith and and lack thereof. And he, like, I I shared this story on Facebook, and I felt like I needed to clarify, because everybody was like, oh, that's amazing, you know, like, you guys were the only Bible he'll maybe ever read, you know, it's all like that. It's like, okay, thanks for the kind words. But Pike is the hero of the story right? He spent all day just serving us, blessing us. There's a project he's supposed to get back to St. Louis and finish that I know was not going to get finished in time now just because he wanted to give us every chance to get back on the road. And we, uh, at one point, my dad, before we had left uh, to get on the road, he gave me a $100 bill. He said, this is to help you get to Lincoln. And so uh, I am giving that to Pikey. And I said, I didn't know when I, my dad gave me this, that it was meant for you. But Thank you for everything. And he just, he could not control himself. He just wept like a man-child. And uh, and I said, hey, you know, can we get you a a hotel hotel room? You know, if you want to hang out, we're going to be here. We can't go anywhere, obviously. And so he decided to stay. And that night after we put the kids to bed, uh, Megan and I, along with him, got a, he threw his Harley blanket out next to the interstate, you know, running into a homeless gal who joined us. And we spent the next four years talking about life and faith and Jesus, and it all. And, you know, I don't know what God's going to do with that. Um, I didn't try to close the deal and pray the sinner's prayer and baptize him on the side of the interstate. But we've been talking since. He's planning a trip to Lincoln. And, you know, you never know. You never know. Maybe we'll be hanging out with bikers before you know it. I, I'm not sure. But, again, it's one of those things. Like I, I'm so thankful we get to be a part of stories like this and our kids get to see him. Because, man, if God ends up lighting Pikey up, And it had to cost us a new transmission. (laughs) You know, it's like, well, that's worth the investment. You know, it's it's worth a couple days being stuck in middle of nowhere Missouri. Um, So let me say this. I have more stories, but I'm going to have to cut myself out because I see Charlie sweating back there. (laughs) Lastly, Jesus says this. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and you're not welcome, to go into its streets and say, "Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet," as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this: the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom than was uh, than for that town. All right. And so, um, without getting into the end of that, Jesus definitely has some words of warning in there. But I, I love what Jesus is saying here because he says, just like he said in verse seven, he's like, "When you, when you." are experiencing openness, he says, stay put, right, stay there, right, don't move on, uh, don't be weird, <laughs> don't, like, eat what they give you, drink what they give you, um, as, a, as a matter of friendship and hospitality, right, if, if what they're serving you is not in your palate, well, God's about to expand your palate, right, <laughs> he said, stay put, uh, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the passage, or the word there for, for home, is oikos, which is bigger than just immediate family. We're talking about extended family, network of relationships and friendships. And Jesus says, look, like, this is how I am to send you out. This is how you're to go. Don't just bounce from place to place. Sprinkle a blessing there, sprinkle a blessing there, sprinkle a blessing there, a drive-by blessing. He says, when you experience openness, lean in and stay put, right? Invest, invest deeply. And what we have found, at least in our journey, is more, sometimes it's just for the season, but more often than not, that's not a, we're not talking about days, we're not talking about weeks. More often than not, that's, that's an investment of months, which become, can become years. Um, and Jesus says, you know, this is, this is the way. And he says, and when you experience resistance and people who are just not open to it, that's okay too, right? Move on. And with your eyes wide open, be praying and looking for those people those people who are open. And the last thing I'll say is this. You know, I think one of the things that I've seen in moving to Knoxville is people who are, people who tend to become a part of communities like this, right, they tend to be people who are more service-oriented. They like to get involved with their hands. Um, And I love that. But there is a tendency, there's a temptation, I think, to commit to do too much. And I think a lot of those people, like, they want to be, they have, like, you know, fear of missing out, like spiritual FOMO, and so they try, to, they try to be present here and over there and volunteer an hour there and give a gift over here. And, of course, God can use all of that. But Jesus seems to really be encouraging us to invest deeply and to walk with people over a, a significant, significant amount of time. And that most of the time, the doors that are going to open to us, right, we find somebody, a person of peace, who is open to what God perhaps wants to do. They're open to you. They like being with you. You like being with them. And then they begin to become, they become a gatekeeper, right, and opens up that gate to us, which was what Brandy self was to us, and that was a, the last story that we don't have time for, but but that was one of the biggest blessings to us, I think, was moving into the neighborhood, knowing that Colonial Village and Moreland Heights was where we wanted to live on mission, and then God brought Brandy self into our life, largely because of the Cockrum's presence in her life, and she was the one that opened up all kinds of doors for us to be present in that school. And and then eventually had the great honor of doing her funeral when she passed away, which she didn't know she would continue to open doors even in her passing, but she sure did. So, so let's do this. So I want to push conversation to tables. We'll probably need to shorten this period of time because I think I went a little long. So kind of recapping what we touched on. So a person of peace is somebody who is not a follower of Jesus, uh, but they welcome you, uh, they receive you, oftentimes they will serve you, uh, we, we have a lot to learn. Um, somebody that you intentionally give time to, investing into their life. And then ultimately, as God begins to work in their heart and your friendship deepens, they become gatekeepers and they open up doors for you uh, to begin to, to share with Jesus and love an even bigger network of people. So, questions I would love for us to, to process a little bit around tables together is, who is your person or persons of peace? And if you haven't thought about this before, This is a great opportunity to think aloud. And then what is maybe your next step in drawing them closer to Jesus? Sound good? We probably can only get through that first one, but we'll do what we can. All right, ready, set, go.